0: I'd like to have you turn with me to our text for this morning which comes to us from Luke chapter 17 verses 20 through 37 Luke 17 20 through 37 um, we are coming towards the close of our summer long sermon series making our way through the gospel of Luke uh, if I remember correctly I think this is week 18 so it's been a short series um, and uh, we're gonna be wrapping it up this week and then next week. Those are the last two sermons in this series. I'll just give you a little preview of where we're heading next. I try to give us a, a pretty good mix of Old Testament, New Testament, and topical series. Um, I, I want us to have a balanced biblical diet um, as, a, as a congregation and as a church. And uh, we're heading to a topical series next. Uh, we're gonna be spending 10 weeks this uh, fall looking at the, the intersection of faith and politics. And if that makes you nervous, Imagine me, because I have to preach it. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to be telling you, you know, who to vote for. I'm not going to be telling you which positions to hold, which platforms to support. That's not my job as a pastor. What is my job as a pastor is to help us as Christian believers think about how to engage in all aspects of our lives Christianly. And I'll just say, and I've said this before, it shouldn't be anything new, um, My experience of politics in this country the last number of years uh, has left me with the distinct impression that we are declining in our ability to do that. Um, For me, uh, politics seems like it's become one of the biggest idols that threatens our allegiance to Christ in the church, and then in addition to that, I just don't see the kind of Christ-like behavior in our political process that we as Christians are called to exhibit. And so that's what we're gonna talk about for 10 weeks, how to engage that process Christianly, and we'll see if I still have a job at the end of it. So, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. Uh, This is Jesus teaching on two different things, as we'll see the kingdom of God and the days of the Son of Man. Luke writes this Once, On being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is, but do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to another. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation." Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed On that day, no one who was on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Remember Lot's wife. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, his disciples asked him. He replied, where there is a dead body. There the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, during our recent vacation to Greece, Sarah and I discovered moussaka, a traditional Greek dish made from eggplant, boiled potato, and meat sauce. Uh, Layered and baked together, kind of like a lasagna. Uh, It's absolutely delicious and we ate it every chance that we had. Uh, We also learned to make it. That's because one of the days that we were in Greece, we took a Greek cooking class, and that happened to be one of the dishes that we learned to make. Uh, There was one part of the dish that we didn't learn, though. Uh, That's because the last step before baking a moussaka is covering it with a French cream sauce called bechamel. Made of butter, flour, milk, and cheese, bechamel is a notoriously tricky sauce to make, and so the chef who was leading our class thought it was better that he make it instead of us. Turned out pretty well because our moussaka turned out pretty well as a result. That did make it a little difficult, though, when Sarah and I recently decided to try to recreate the dish uh, at our house. Um, After arranging all the parts, we came to that last step, the bechamel, and it certainly lived up to its reputation as a difficult sauce to make. For about 20 minutes, we tinkered with it, trying to get it just right. It's because if it's too thin, what it does is it runs down into all the other layers of the moussaka, making it soggy and kind of unappetizing. But if it's too thick, then you can't spread it out properly across the top, which leaves part of the dish uncovered. And so finally, I decided to look it up on my phone. I pulled up Google, and I typed in, how do you know when a bechamel sauce is done? That's kind of a guessing game, was the reply. But you'll know it when you see it. Thanks, Google. Google. Well, in the same way, that's actually kind of more or less what Jesus himself says about his second coming here in this text as well. It's a guessing game, he says, but you'll know it when you see it. Now truth be told, Jesus is actually dealing with two different issues in this passage. Uh, He's dealing with two different issues here because he's dealing with two different audiences in this text. That's because in the first two verses here, verses 20 and 21, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees and a question that they bring to him, when will the kingdom of God come? Then in all the rest of this passage, verses 22 through 37, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he's teaching them about something else. Not the kingdom of God, but instead something that he calls the days of the son of man. And so very simply, that's what we're going to talk about this morning too. We're going to talk about the two things that Jesus talks about here. First, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And then second, we're going to talk about the days of the Son of Man. And we're going to talk about what Jesus means when he talks about both of those things. So let's start with the first one, the kingdom of God. Luke starts this passage in verse 20 and 21 with the Pharisees coming to Jesus and asking him a question. Luke writes this. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. First, just so we understand the context of their question, uh, the Pharisees were a group of lay religious leaders uh, in in Jewish society back then. They were mostly middle-class businessmen who studied the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, sort of on the side, outside of their day-to-day jobs and then taught uh, the Jewish people a number of different things. One of the main things, though, that they emphasized was the need for Jewish society to undergo sort of a a reawakening uh, spiritually, or at least in their practice of of the Old Testament law. Put simply, the Pharisees wanted to see the Jewish people recommit themselves to the laws of the Old Testament and the various purity codes that were contained within those laws. Um, That's because the Pharisees believed that if the Jewish people could return to their status as the purified people of God, then God would come and cleanse them of the foreign powers that had invaded them reestablish them as a nation and people and restore them to the kind of relationship they had had with him in the days of the Old Testament in short uh, the Pharisees believed that God would reestablish the Jewish people if they could live faithfully to him as a theocracy uh, with human leadership sure but with God himself as their ultimate head Um, in other words the God, they, the, the Pharisees believed that God would make the Jewish people into a kingdom that looked like the kingdom of Israel again from the Old Testament. His kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now we haven't talked much about this in this series, that's mainly because we've skipped through Jesus' parables and we've saved those for a future sermon series, um, but that's actually something that Jesus talks about a lot in his preaching and teaching in this gospel. He talks regularly about the kingdom of God. What that is, what it's like, what sorts of things characterize it so that people can recognize it and become part of it. And so when the Pharisees come to Jesus here at the start of this text, they have a pretty simple question for him. When is that going to happen? When's God going to come back and bring his kingdom? When's he going to do all the stuff that we've been waiting for and expecting? When is he going to do all the things that you, Jesus, have been talking about? It's a reasonable question, right? I mean, the Pharisees have spent a good deal of time and effort on the kingdom. They've waited for it, taught about it, even tried to live their lives in such a way that they can bring it about. And so now that Jesus has come, preaching that the kingdom of God is here at hand, the Pharisees want to know, well, when exactly is it going to start? Like so often happens in his interactions with them, though, I think Jesus' response probably caught the Pharisees off guard. That's because he says to them, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. It's not something that you can look and you can pinpoint. That's the start date. That's the moment it began. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here is, the kingdom has actually already started. It's already here. It's already off and running on the ground and unfolding even now as we speak. You see, Jesus had a different definition of the kingdom than the Pharisees did. While the Pharisees defined the kingdom of God mainly by looking back to the Old Testament kingdom of Israel and how God dealt with them as his people back then, Jesus defined it more by looking back even further to creation. You see, for the Pharisees, the kingdom of God was a return to the way things were between God and Israel in the Old Testament. But for Jesus, the kingdom of God was a return to the way things were when God created them in the first place. That's why I think one of the best definitions I've heard for the kingdom is this. The kingdom of God is wherever and whenever God's will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is wherever and whenever God's will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. There's a number of reasons why I like that definition for the kingdom of God. Um, But one of them is because that's the way that it would have been in the beginning, right? Before our rebellion, our disobedience, our fall into sin, that's the way that things would have worked here in God's creation. His will was done here on earth just as he intended it to be, just as it is in heaven. Another reason why I like that definition, though, is because that's the way that things will also be in the end. We'll get to this in a bit, but that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back, right? He's going to restore, renew, and recreate this entire world so that it looks the way God intended it to be, so that it looks the way God created it to be, so that God's will is done fully here on earth as it is in heaven again. Jesus' point here with the Pharisees is that that whole process of God restoring his creation to the way that it was supposed to be has already started. It's already started because it's actually started in him. In fact, that's actually what all the other passages we've looked at in this series, really all the passages in Luke's entire gospel, that's what they've all been about. They've been about the kingdom, God's will here on earth as it is in heaven, breaking in and infiltrating this world. Jesus' birth, his childhood, his baptism, his teaching, his healing, uh, the exorcisms he performed, everything else including the stuff that we haven't looked at in this gospel. Those are all examples, slowly but surely, of God's kingdom coming more and more here on earth just as it was in the beginning. Christ in his ministry is restoring this world to the way it's intended to be. That's the kingdom breaking in. The Pharisees had their understanding of the kingdom wrong. And because they had their understanding of the kingdom wrong, they missed all of that. They missed that it had started. They missed that it had begun. They missed that it was right there in their midst in the person of Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling them here. The kingdom is already here. It started. It's right in front of you, in fact. So get going. Become part of it. If the Pharisees had missed out on something that was already happening, though, Jesus' disciples seem to have the opposite problem in the rest of this text. And that's what Jesus turns his attention to in verses 22 through 37. Fresh as his discussion with the Pharisees about the kingdom of God, Jesus sits down with his disciples and he starts talking with them about something that he calls the days of the Son of Man. Now, just so we're clear, when Jesus talks about the days of the Son of Man, what he's really talking about is his second coming. This is one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, right? The second coming of Christ. Uh, Put simply, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is going to come back someday. And the reason we believe he's going to come back, like we just hinted at, is because he still has yet to finish that work of redeeming, restoring, renewing, and recreating this world. While Jesus set that work in motion during his first coming, he has yet to bring it to its fulfillment, and so that's what he'll do when he comes back. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he talks about the days of the Son of Man here. He's referring to his second coming, his return, to the day when he will eventually come back and finish that work of salvation in all its many facets that he set off and moving during his first earthly ministry here. That said, Jesus doesn't really give uh, a lot of specifics about that here, does he? He doesn't get into all the nitty gritty details of how that'll work. He doesn't give his disciples back then or us as his disciples today much to go on when it comes to his second coming. Instead, all he really says here is that the days of the Son of Man haven't happened yet. No one's actually going to know when they're going to happen. And because no one's going to know when they're going to happen, we need to be ready for them whenever they happen so we don't know uh, when the or the second coming hasn't happened yet the days of the Son of Man haven't happened yet we don't know when it's going to happen and so as a result we need to be ready let's briefly take each of those in turn First, unlike what Jesus says to the Pharisees about the kingdom of God, he tells his disciples that his second coming, the days of the Son of Man, hasn't happened yet. The kingdom is ongoing, the days of the Son of Man, his second coming hasn't happened yet. Jesus is sort of teasing these two things apart here, the kingdom of God on the one hand and the days of the Son of Man on the other. And the reason is simple, that's because in a lot of Jewish theology at the time, those two things were quite connected, okay? They weren't quite considered one and the same thing, but they were very interrelated. In fact, according to many Jewish teachers and scholars at the time, those two things were sort of considered a bit of a one-two punch. Uh, First, the days of the Son of Man would happen, and then immediately right after, the kingdom of God would begin. And yet, Jesus has just told the Pharisees that the kingdom of God has already started, right? And so it seems that maybe some of Jesus' disciples had some questions about that. It's likely that some of them were listening in on his conversation with the Pharisees. And so they come to him and and, and seem to be asking him, okay, if the kingdom of God has already begun, then then does that mean that the, the days of the Son of Man have started too? And what Jesus says in essence here is, no. The kingdom has started, yes. But the days of the Son of Man are still to come. And again, the reason for that has to do with Jesus' redefinition of the kingdom. While the Pharisees and the other Jewish teachers at the time saw the days of the Son of Man as kind of a kickoff event to the kingdom, that one would come first and then the kingdom would get rolling, Jesus instead sees the kingdom as ongoing, with the days of the Son of Man, his second coming, marking not its beginning, but rather its completion or fulfillment when the kingdom would come all in all. And so Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry, you haven't missed it. While the kingdom of God has started the days of the Son of Man, my second coming, when the kingdom will be brought to its completion, that's still to come. That hasn't stopped some Christians over the years, though, from worrying that they have or will somehow miss Jesus' second coming, right? You see, in every generation of Christians, there are those who worry they'll somehow miss out on that. They worry that Jesus will come, whatever's going to happen will happen, and somehow in the midst of it, they'll end up left behind. And I'll just say that that worry, that concern, largely comes from an arm of theology known as premillennial dispensationalism, and it's a decidedly unreformed reading and interpretation of scripture. Uh, Put simply, and I don't have time to get into all of this this morning, that's what Sunday nights are for, starting next month, little promo for that. Um, In the Reformed tradition, we don't actually believe in stuff like the rapture or a tribulation or a thousand-year reign of Christ. Um, That stuff, while it makes for exciting reading in books like the Left Behind series, does not make for good biblical interpretation or theology. Instead, as Jesus says here, we actually don't have to worry about that, somehow missing the second coming, because we'll know when it happens, it'll be obvious. In fact, Jesus says it will be like lightning lighting up the whole sky from one end to the other. Verse 24, Jesus says, for the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. That's how obvious Jesus says his second coming is going to be. That's how obvious the days of the Son of Man will be. It'll be like lightning lighting up the sky. We're not gonna miss it. Sarah and I actually have some experience with that. That's because we recently had a lightning strike in our backyard. Uh, it was during a storm uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was the middle of the night, we were asleep, when all of a sudden we were jolted awake by probably the loudest crash of thunder I've ever heard and a bright flash of lightning on the pine tree in our backyard. And uh, the next morning you could clearly see about a 20 to 30 foot line of bark that had been stripped off the trunk of the tree. Uh, that and our underground sprinkling system was fried, which by the way is what happens when you get a lightning strike in your yard. So. The point, though, is that the second coming will be obvious, okay? Like that Bechamel sauce Sarah and I made a couple weeks ago, we won't miss it. Instead, we'll know it when we see it. And yet, we're not going to know when it's going to happen. Sorry. Sorry. That's really what Jesus is getting at in the first part of what he says to his disciples here. Uh, In verse 22, Jesus says, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you there he is or here he is, but do not go running off after them. Do not go running off after them, Jesus is saying, because they don't know when I'm coming back. No one knows when I'm coming back. In fact, even I don't know when I'm coming back. That's something that only God the Father knows in his infinite wisdom. This is something Jesus is actually quite clear on in all of his teaching on this topic. For instance, in Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says this about his second coming. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And likewise in Acts 1 verse 7, Jesus tells his disciples, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In short, Jesus' second coming is a bit of a mystery. We might know the who and the why, but we're not going to know the when, what, where, or how. And Jesus is clear on that. It's just, it's not something we get to know. It's not something God wants to share with us. It's not something we're privy to. And so because of that, we need to be ready. You see, while Scripture doesn't give us a lot of details about the second coming and how it's all going to work, when we read what it does say about the second coming... That's one of the things that comes up over and over and over and over. The need to be prepared, the need to be watchful, the need to be ready at any time. That's what Jesus is getting at in verses 26 through 36 of this passage too. He talks about two Old Testament events. First he talks about Noah and the flood in Genesis chapter six, and then he talks about Lot and the destruction of Sodom in Genesis 19. And in both cases, Jesus is using those stories as examples of the need to be ready. In fact, that's what Jesus says pretty much any time he talks about his second coming. We didn't look at this chapter in the series, but Luke chapter 12 is all about that. Jesus tells a series of parables there in that chapter, and in each one he says more or less the same thing. Be prepared, be watchful, be ready. In fact, he even makes that explicit in verse 40 in that chapter. He says, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is going to sound crazy, but we actually used to do a biannual retreat about that uh, with the middle schoolers at the church I used to serve in Wisconsin. Uh, the Thief in the Night Retreat, it was called. And the whole thing was about Jesus' second coming and our need to be ready for it. Uh, and in order to hammer that idea home, and this is the part that's going to sound crazy, we never told the kids who were going on it when the retreat was going to be. Uh, Instead, at our first youth group of the year, I, as the youth pastor, would get up and say something like, this is a thief in the night year. That's our middle school retreat. We do it every other year. We go away to a really cool camp. We do a lot of cool stuff together. We play a lot of fun games together. Uh, We talk about Jesus, his second coming, and and what that's going to be like. And the best part, you want to know the best part? And then I would kind of pause and get the kids all excited. And I would say, the best part is we're not going to tell you when it is. Instead, just like with Jesus and his second coming, you need to be ready to go on the retreat at any moment. And at that point is typically when the kids would all collectively freak out, right? But we really didn't. We didn't tell their parents either because they kept giving it away to the kids. And I ran this retreat successfully four times while I was there. I remember, still remember during my interviews at Brookfield, they were telling me about this retreat. Actually, it was not during my interviews. They saved it until I was hired. And they're telling me about this retreat, and I thought, so we do a secret retreat where we don't tell the kids or parents when it's going to be, and I now have to run this? Um, And in all my years doing it, we only had one or two kids who couldn't make it simply because they were out of town. It actually always really worked like a charm. The point, though, was that we wanted the kids to experience what it was like to be ready for something that could happen in any moment, what it was like to be ready for something that could show up unannounced in their lives. We wanted them to experience something like what Jesus' second coming will be like. And maybe I'm biased, uh, because I ran that thing a couple different times, but I think that we are actually able to achieve that with that retreat, that we were able to give our kids at least a sense of their need to be ready for Christ's return. At least that's what I took away from that retreat, and I even knew the date every year that we did it. And yet we can't let that, our need to be ready, our need to be prepared, our need to be watching distract us from the kingdom. And that's really, I think, what Jesus is trying to get at by talking about these two different topics together. Like we said, the kingdom is already here. The second coming, the days of the Son of Man, that's still to come. The kingdom is going on now, though. And so as Jesus' people, his disciples, his citizens, his subjects, really, someone once pointed this out to me, we're not citizens of the kingdom of God. A king doesn't have citizens, they have subjects, As subjects of King Jesus and in his kingdom, we need to be living as members of that kingdom, living it out, living into it, even as we anticipate the day when he will eventually come back and bring it to its completion whenever that is. And I say this, I make this point, because there are some Christians, both back then as well as today, who do get distracted by the second coming. They get distracted by the second coming and they forget about the kingdom now. They lose the forest for the trees and rather than living as subjects of Christ their king, bringing his kingdom to bear on the world as he's called us to do, they're instead always looking off towards the horizon, anticipating his return and contrary to his clear instructions in scripture, trying to predict when that's going to happen. We get at one of those every couple of years, don't we? Every couple of years, there's someone who comes along with some sort of prediction, prophecy, or claim to know when Jesus is coming back. I've figured it out, they say. I've cracked the code. Next Tuesday, 3.12 p.m., Jesus is coming. Be ready. The mistake when we do that is actually the same mistake that the Pharisees were making here. That's because when we do that, we mistake the kingdom for something off in the future. Something still yet to come. Something that we we don't really need to worry all that much about until Jesus comes back. My friends, we do have to worry about it. We have to worry about it now. As Jesus says here, the kingdom is now. Yes, someday he will come back. He'll return in glory and power and bring his kingdom fully and completely. He'll finish that work of redemption, restoration, renewal, and recreation. And he'll ensure that his Father's will is done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But in the meantime, as his people, we need to live out our Father's will here on earth as it is in heaven. We need to participate in his kingdom. We need to live here just as God intended us to be in the beginning and just as he is restoring us to be in the end. After all, that's our calling, right? That's what Jesus has redeemed and restored us to do. And that's also part of how we make sure that we are ready for him to come back when he eventually does. And my friends, he will come back. One day Christ will return. One day he'll reappear. Like we've talked about, we don't know when that day will be. We don't know much about what it's going to look like either. In fact, we don't know much about it at all. But we do know this. On that day, Christ will fully restore all things. He'll renew this entire creation. He'll bring his kingdom here in full. And on that day, the will of God will indeed be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven, just the way he intended it to be. As Christians, we look forward to that day with hope. We call that the gospel. And we look forward to and anticipate it even as we continue to live as subjects of that kingdom here and now already. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we are privileged through your grace and mercy of of no ability of our own to be subjects of your kingdom. Lord, if you had left us where we were, we would still be sinfully estranged and far from you. But through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, who kicked off this work of salvation and redemption that is ongoing, Lord, you have called us back to yourself. You have made us your people. Help us to live like it, here and now, in your kingdom, even as we anticipate the day when Christ will come back and bring that kingdom fully and completely. Thank you for your son, thank you for your grace, and thank you for your Holy Spirit who makes it possible for us to live as subjects of your kingdom. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.